The Gun Experiment proudly presents Chopping It Up. And here are your hosts, Mike and Big Keith. What's going on, big man? Oh, you know, I'm feeling a little under the weather today. Obviously, instead of being across from you, I'm uh, across the street from you. <laughs> yeah, man, I felt bad when you said that. I was like, I mean, first off, I, I don't... I don't love doing this when we're not in the same room. It's always obviously uh, a lot more fun and and exciting when I can uh, hang out with you. But uh, yeah, it felt bad, man. It, that uh, you know, my wife's sick right now. Everyone seems to be getting something. So hope you feel better soon. Well, it's that. On top of that, my uh, my wife is uh, got a late night for work tonight, so uh, I didn't have anyone to hang out with my monsters either. So uh, just you. It's all worked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's uh, let's do this thing, and then you can go back to sleeping and resting. All right. Sounds good. By the way, you're a real professional. I want you to know that. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. I try. (laughs) So I just want to remind everyone that we release new content every Tuesday morning. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And today's episode is brought to you by Target Sports USA, the official ammo sponsor of the gun experiment. Check out their own line of ammo, New Republic, which is super reasonable in price and comes in a whole host of great calibers. If you want the best deals possible, be sure to check out their ammo plus membership, which gets you 8% off free shipping on all ammo orders, and a whole lot more, all for $95 a year. And if you're looking to support us and get more great content, make sure you're following us on Instagram or Facebook. I have links in the show notes. And obviously, if you want a really good social media experience that is not filtered by the overlords, check out our growing community over on Discord. It's the only place where you can hang out on social media with the big man. And uh, it's actually been picking up a lot lately, and I'm, I'm loving seeing more interaction, which is always, always good. So... Everyone likes to get their hands on a new pistol, or if you're like Big Keith, maybe a new FUD gun. But sometimes we buy that gun at the expense of our training budget. Well, I'm here to tell you that with on-site firearms training, you can have both. They have an extensive course offering at a very reasonable price, which means you can get your new gun and get some awesome training. They offer a huge course catalog, so you're guaranteed to find a course that meets your needs. Go check them out at OFTLLC.us. For the record, my my last per- gun purchase was definitely not a FUD gun. That is true. But you would <laughs> gladly buy a FUD gun. I would. I'm I, looking at one now. See? Exactly. All right. So tonight's guest co-host came on the gun experiment a few months back to discuss how to become a more self-reliant protector. Today, he's back to chop it up with us. Please welcome David Acosta Jr. from Allegiance Defense Solutions. David, how you been? Great, man. Awesome. I have no complaints. I have more than I deserve. Uh, just grateful, man. Super grateful. What about you, Keith? How's everything over there in, other than being sick? Yeah, everything's good. I mean, we got the Christmas lights up, you know, got to uh, spend some time with family doing that and, uh, you know, try to figure out why the lights keep blowing, you know, because you put too many of them together and <laughs> can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. So some, somehow... I, uh, we ended up with like two extra circuits this year and I was like, how did this happen? How did we, <laughs> but anyway, things are going good. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm getting over Turkey day here Yeah, and, uh, I don't want to see another Turkey for a few months. <laughs> well, you, you went up having a very big, uh, Thanksgiving holiday. So you're probably tired of, ho- not tired of hosting, but you're probably like need a little rest from hosting. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, I'll never forget my, when uh, my wife and I bought our first house, my mom was like, okay, so now you can do the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. ever since then, uh, we've been uh, we've been hosting the holidays. And 
Christmas actually gets a little bit bigger than Thanksgiving. We had like, I don't know, maybe 15 here this year for Thanksgiving, but we'll be over the 20 mark for, for Christmas. Wow. So David, I want to catch up with you a little bit here. Um, I was looking on some of your social media and, and I do follow some, some stuff that you put out and I am really interested in this product that you have done a collaboration with high speed gear. You have this thing called the low V mag pouch. Yes, and sir. so I'm going to let you, it's awesome. Uh, and I'll tell you why it's so interesting to me, but I'll let you uh, sort of explain it and maybe talk a little bit about kind of how it came to fruition. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about of it. Of course. Super, super excited about it, man. It's, it's been a project in the making for several years now. Um, we, we talked about the, the law enforcement background and obviously a lot of it was uh, in a you know, low vis uh, capacity, right? Not, not dressed like a police officer. So um, I was constantly back in the day, me and my guys, me and my team, we were constantly trying to, you know, jerry rig stuff and figure stuff out and reallocate things, uh, repurpose things to kind of have that magazine pouch that kind of just did it all, right? Irrespective of the magazine, um, you know, the platform, the setup, how I wanted to wear it, whether it needed to be in a pocket or the waistline, and we were just constantly like refining it. And uh, it was after I retired um, two years ago that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go in on this thing and just develop it. Why not? Like I've got more than enough time now. Um, so why not do it? So uh, started sewing and, you know, playing around with that and talking to friends and buddies, you know, even the, you know, the grandma down the street that uh, has a, a sewing business, like asking her, how do I do this? And how did that, what about this stitch and that stitch and this and that? Um, and just, you know, figuring out amongst friends. And, uh, finally, uh, when I had like, what I would say is like a working prototype, um, basically went to a buddy of mine, uh, Kevin Estella, uh, that I know from back in Connecticut training Cyoc, and then, uh, you know, working with him at Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, I reached out to Kevin and was like, Hey man, do you know anybody that has like the ability to do this thing? I want to, I want to sew this product, um, needs to be sewn. Uh, and this is what it is. So I showed him the prototype. He was like, dude, I've never seen anything like that. That's a really good idea. Uh, you got to be careful with who you show it to. So <laughs> he was like, I'm going to, he's like, have you talked to Harvey about it? And he's referencing Harvey Cheek from Black Point Tactical, uh, makes phenomenal holsters. And I'm like, no, I didn't know Harvey has a connection for, uh, you know, for textiles, for nylon. And he's like, yeah, dude, like he works with HSGI. Um, you should definitely reach out to him. So literally got off the phone with Kevin called Harvey uh, from Black Point HSGI, showed him the product, um, explained to him what I wanted to do and immediately started prototyping uh, at, you know, like a production prototype ASAP. Um, got the ball rolling, went back and forth a few times, uh, refined it. And then uh, that's what we have right there. The, uh, the low V pistol mouch, uh, pistol mag pouch and the low V rifle mag pouch. Now w- what's cool about it, in my opinion, is that it works so the end user, like I love products where the end user has the ability to uh, modify it accordingly. Like so, with this mag pouch, I wanted the ability to adjust the height, adjust the cant, right? Whether you're a left-handed shooter or a right-handed shooter, if you want to wear it in your pocket, if you want to wear it in your waistband, if you want to wear it inside the waistband or outside the waistband, but inside the belt line, it accommodates all those things. Right. Uh, and unlike injection molded, uh, you know, Kydex. <clears throat> or other thermoplastics, it's, you know, it's a textile, it compresses. So like I can literally put it on, like instead of having to buy a pair of pants that have tactical pockets for it, built in 
stuff on the waistline. I can wear whatever pants I want, stick this in there. If I need to take it out for whatever reason, it folds flat. It compresses and folds flat like it's not even there. Yep. Um, you don't have to put a magazine in it. You can put a multi-tool or a flashlight. Yep. Uh, in the rifle mag pouch, you can put a radio. You can put uh, a rifle mag, a 7.62 mag, a 5.56 mag, a set of handcuffs for law enforcement. We have a, a slimline medical kit coming out that will also fit in there. So, um, you know, it, it, I just wanted a product that would be versatile and uh, modular and allow the end user to kind of, you know, Pick how they feel it works best for them. So if I could stop you really quick, let me start start off by saying uh, the timing of this is is crazy for me. So uh, when I first started getting into gear and kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, like LARPing a bit, I never did high speed stuff like you did for real, but Keith and I built a couple battle belts and I needed some mag carriers and, you know, I did the typical research stuff and I wound up getting some of the uh, STAC Kiwis. I ran those for a little bit and honestly, man, like everyone talks about them, but I really didn't like them because every time I would go to grab a mag, it felt like I, like I had to like rip them out. It wasn't like, it just didn't seem like the fit on them was great. And mm. we've, uh, we've done a lot with actually our, our actual belts, our blue alpha gear belts. Um, I don't know if you ever worked with any of their stuff, but, um, that's the belts. That's the belts that I have. And it's a great product. And just Keith and I were about to do a two gun match. And just as we were about to do it, they released uh, a new product that's meant for uh, like a duty belt or a, or a battle belt, if you will. And it's very similar in design to that. And the fact that it's very like pliable, it can, it's almost flat until you put a mag in. It's got elastic. It's got some like rubber inside to like kind of like retain. And I asked them if they would send them out and if I could try them. And, uh, and I did, and I really liked them. I, I ran this course and, and much better than the STAC stuff. In my opinion, nothing fell out, but it came out very easy when I needed it to. And so didn't get DQ'd exactly. Nothing went bad. (laughs) And I was like, man, I'm, I'm really loving these things. And truthfully, I don't carry an extra mag with me. I have, but I I typically don't. And part of really, you don't, I don't, I, 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 I've not found a solution that I'm really in love with. And that kind of brings me to the part of the story where I reached out to them and I said, is there a way to put a, you know, a, a clip on this that Side I can car, just, yeah. that I can just like clip inside my pants, you know? And they were like, I'm sure there's something out there, but like, just, you know, it's not, basically it's not the direction they're going at least at this point. Right. Literally, literally like a day later, I'm getting ready to, like, to do the show. I'm kind of like just doing some last minute kind of like digging around and research. And I wanted to kind of see what you were up to. And I see this product and I'm like, well, there it is. <laughs> I'm like, I, it's like, it's like the universe heard me talk and produced, you know, it was, it was actually kind of cool. And so, uh, I think I kind of described it, but it's basically just, uh, it's, I think it's elastic on the sides, correct? Yes. And it just basically like, I mean, if you had it on and you took the mag out, I mean, hell you could go do burpees, you could run around, like you wouldn't even know it's on you. It's just soft and pliable. Correct. correct? Yes. And the whole point of that was having it to be modular, right? So I've seen guys in companies that make pants that have like built in mag pouches in the pants, Yep. right? But the yep. pants are super expensive and like it only comes in one color, right? So it's like you got to wear the same ones every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, you know, the solution to be the pouch itself. I didn't want the pouch to be, uh, it, you know, it only works for a Glock 43 mag or only works for a Glock 34. Like it works for any platform. Uh, it doesn't so because it's not injection molded, right? So yep. any platform. Single or uh, double stack or just double stack? Single or double stack mags. Nice. Uh, you know, Glock, Smith & Wesson, what, you name it. It doesn't matter um, in that regard. And then you as the end user, if you want it to sit higher or lower, so if you want it to sit lower, 
for greater concealability, you can do that. You just manipulate the clips in the hardware. Um, if you want a greater cant, you just change the angle of the clips with the hardware that already comes with it. Um, so like if you're a left-handed shooter, a right-handed shooter, it doesn't matter, right? Like it works for all that. And then if you want to, if you're one of those dudes that wears a magazine in your pocket, like I did the whole pocket thing for a long time. Yep. I just found that like getting in and out of cars or jumping a fence or chasing a dude, like fighting with a dude, like next thing you know, like the mag is flipped upside down. It's backwards. It's jamming you yeah. with balls. Like, you know, it's just, it's not ideal, man. So, uh, we can switch out the clip for a discrete carry concepts pocket clip, which makes it ride super low. It sits in the pocket similar to like, I guess like the, uh, some of the magnetic ones that the are out there, mags the, uh, and stuff. Yeah. So very similar to that. However, it doesn't fall off when you're fighting or running. Um, it doesn't slide up and down. Like you have the ability to adjust all of that. So, I mean, I, I was trying to, you know, build the, the one mag pouch to rule them all, if you will. You know, I have a couple holsters with sidecars and, you know, for an extra mag and I really, mm, they're okay. Um, I can, I can still carry appendix sometimes, but I can see where this would make that a little bit better because it just seems like that sidecar is sometimes just in the wrong spot. And, uh, I've done the pocket thing for a long time too. And, and, uh, when I have a holster that doesn't have a spot for an extra mag, I just put it in my pocket. Yeah. But you're right that the problem is, is like, if I ever really needed to go after it, I don't know that I'm grabbing it the right direction or the right way. And, and, and you're not, you're going to lose some speed there. Right. So this kind of sure. solves that problem. Even if you want to carry it in your pocket. What I like, sure. about, what I like about it. And, and again, going back to the blue alpha stuff, what I liked about that and why I wanted the option to wear it as a, a CCW piece is let me just say, like, I mean, we all, I think we all agree on this. Like Kydex is the shit, right? Like, I mean, like Kydex, like it, it serves a purpose and it does its job super well, but there's some times where you don't want hard rigid. You want soft and I don't want to say soft and comfortable because when the mag's in there, it's rigid, but you know, I was actually thinking of where I might use this in certain situations. And a lot of times I'll drive to like my in-laws, they're like three and a half hours away and I'm like yeah. carrying or whatever. I'm like, you know what? It's nice to be able to like take maybe take the mag out and just like throw it into like the con the center console for that three hour drive. And then if I go to get gas, just pop it back in. And I'm like that yeah. that this gives you that option, right? Like if you're if you're on a long you, car, you do not have that option with like a hard Kydex sidecar. No, <laughs> you no. know it's like it's, it's very still, it's the, the footprint is still there even right. if the mag. So with this, it completely folds folds nice and flat, and uh, it's almost like it's not even there. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, it was like the universe spoke to me. I'm, I was like, you know, I had this like, wow, this is a great, a great idea, like an epiphany. And then like you solved the, uh, the problem that I was having. So, uh, I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, is where can people buy them? Uh, high speed gear. So they're right now they're being exclusively sold, uh, through high speed gear. Okay. Um, and, and high speed gear dealers. Okay. Uh, so partnered with high speed gear, they've been great along, you know, great with this whole process. Um, so right now they're the exclusive seller, sellers of it and they're, um, they're dealers or registered dealers. So very cool for right now. That's where it's being sold. Highspeedgear.com. Very cool. Very cool. So, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is we talked, uh, the last time you were on the show, as I mentioned, uh, in your intro is about becoming a more self-reliant protector. And, uh, I was looking at some of your, some of your YouTube videos and, and things that you had taught. And one of the things you did, and I, and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, I may be, but you had done an awesome speech on about violence. And okay. in particular, you defined what violence is. And it was like a five or six point thing. Uh, could you 
regurgitate that? Like, can you, can you kind of do that off the cuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so violence is the use of force intended to abuse, harm, control, injure, incapacitate, kill, or destroy. Okay. So if we understand what violence is, um, you know, it's important that people that are training for violence have a good understanding of what it is. Um, And in that discussion specifically, we're talking, you know, I said we need to define what violence is because I go to classes or I teach classes and, you know, I hear people talk about violence or they talk about a fight. What I found is that there's a lot of variance um, from one person to another based on their personal experience or lack thereof with it. So um, I wanted to just have a, a dead set kind of definition so that we, when we discuss things pertaining to violence, we're talking about the same thing, right? Because we, we may be looking at the same Island offshore, but if I'm looking at it from, you know, a couple miles away, I may have a different picture of what this thing looks like, uh, than you, uh, on, you know, from your vantage point. Right. So this is really was like, it was a perfect video for me to watch because I was getting ready for the show and I was looking for some good articles to talk about. And I found this article, uh, it's from Fox news and it's titled Surge of Random Violence is Never Random, says uh, expert on how to protect yourself. And so I, I read this article and uh, it's this guy, he's a U.S. Marine, uh, Sam Rosenberg. He's worked uh, protecting some celebrities and whatnot. And you do this for a living, David, right? So he brings up this point that most violent crimes have an element of predictability that follows, in his opinion, this four-step model. And he has this acronym TIME. And so TIME stands for Target Selection, interview intelligence, interview slash intelligence, method of attack and escape. And so then he kind of goes on to talk about, uh, he gives us the example that if someone is going to do like a sexual assault, let's say, like, let's say, uh, on a college campus, right. That, you know, the bad guy's going to initially pick a target, right. That's the, that's the T that's the target. And that he's going to use some sort of like an interview to kind of figure out, you know, uh, is this person vulnerable? Is this person kind of a good target? And in the scenario that I just talked about, maybe he's saying this person's naive, they're young, they've had a lot to drink, kind of assessing whether this person is like a, is a prime target. And, uh, you know, at that point, they're probably gonna, you know, plan their attack and then ultimately have a, have a method in their mind of how they're going to kind of get away with like how they're going to escape. And Mm -hmm. it got me sort of thinking uh, that when we're dealing with in our own sort of, uh, you know, CCW, uh, journey and, and how we're preparing for what may ultimately be the worst situation that a human could be in and fighting for their life, that the, the bad guy, the, you know, the evildoer, whatever you want to call them, they always have the advantage, right? Cause they know they're about to do bad shit. And then you have to sort of act, react, you know, react to that. Um, is that, is that accurate? I mean, how do you feel about that? And obviously what, what I just mentioned about the article, like, I'd like to hear your take on it. Yeah. So, I mean, just from, from what you're explaining, uh, you know, you know, I haven't read it, but from what you're explaining, it sounds like that reference of like the, the acronym that he's using is a reference to the opposition's kind of steps and procedures in, in the order that it happens. Um, when we, when, you know, you said something that's in, in important and I think most people don't realize it. Um, time is a thing. Timing, time, right? Uh, those are very important things to understand. And, and they're kind of a time is always a universal in relation to violent encounters. Um, time and timing. 
so when we look at that, it's like, you know, I ask dudes uh, on a regular basis, like when we start talking about the combative stuff, and I think it's important to, to start thinking about these things, but nonetheless, um, I'll, I'll ask you, right? Like in a fight, right? Like, and I'm not talking about we're uh, having a, a uh, this is not combat by agreement. It's not touch, touch gloves and go. Right. We're not going to flat bump and roll. I mean, some dude on the street uh, walks up to you, grabs you by a collar and he punches you in the face. Like, how many times can you let that dude punch you in the face? Right. Cause the next question is, well, well, how many times can that guy punch you in the face before you lose consciousness? When you lose consciousness, when he, when he drops one right on your chin, yep. Hit you on the button. And you lose consciousness and you have no ability to control your rate of descent to the pavement and you crack your head on the, on the pavement. Yep. Lights right? out. Like what, what level of injury is that? Up to possibly death. Could you know be. what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah like, uh, so it's like, when we start talking about that, like who goes first is, is important. Sure. Right. Like I never want the other dude going first. If I can, if I, if I have any ability to control that, I want to make sure I am going first. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, makes a lot of sense. And I want me going first to be also me going last. Right. If that makes sense. Yep. Um, I think that's important, man. Like people overlook that and they're like, well, oh, well I could take a shot. It's like, well, you're assuming it's a punch, right? Like, what if what if there was a blade in the hand? Yeah. Now it's not just a punch, it's a stab, right? So it's like, you got to think about those things and, and, and look at, like, what level of violence are you preparing for when you're training for, you know, violent encounters? Like, what does that look like to you? Are you training for, like, the college drunk kid outside the bar? Um, are you training for, like, the asocial predator that's looking to, you know, wear your skin? Right. Well, and the other part about it is, and like what I had said before, about they always have the upper hand, right? Like they know, like if you, if you did this for a living, so this actually is a really good, you know, you're the perfect person to talk about it. But if someone wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do violence today, right? I'm going to stage an attack unless someone knows it's happening and can, can stop it beforehand. I mean, there's terrible things that happen, but I'm going to go to a mall yeah. and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Ultimately, you know, they're, they, you may mitigate it, but if you don't know they're going to do it, they have the upper hand every time because they wake up knowing they're about to commit violence. For sure. Like, we, we know that action is, is faster than reaction. Right. right. Action always precedes reaction. And in order to even react, you have to perceive uh, some form of stimulus that tells you that something's happening. And then you have to differentiate if that stimulus is going to be of noxious nature Right. Um, but not uh, if it's going to be dangerous or not. Right. If it's going to be harmful or not. So uh, the guy that goes first always has that advantage. If yeah. you will. How do we how do we as sort of, you know, as the good guy, as the guy walking around with his family, how do we mitigate that as much as possible? Because, again, you, you're always sort of on the reacting end of this. Train. Um, how, how do you how do you mitigate it? Train. I think. Yeah, they're, they're, the, the, I think training comes in two two forms, right? So, like, we look at our overall skill set, um, in, in irrespective of what it is, right? So, let's say that we're going to talk about our skill set as it pertains to defending ourselves and others, right? Our skill set as it pertains to you know defense against um, violence, right? Right. Whether it's deadly force or non deadly force, um, I would say make make sure you're prepared for deadly force. That's the harder one to contend with and has higher consequences, but nonetheless. Um, when we look at that, it, you have to look at it like, 
like you look at all security, right? It, it has to be levels and layers and you want like essentially concentric rings based right. on proximity, right? So um, you have to think about like the, like an onion, right? If I cut the onion in half, I've got a lot of rings, concentric rings, right? Yep. The furthest most outer ring I would say is like making sure that you are not an easy target or at least you don't appear to be an easy target. We talked about this on the last one as well. Yep. Talking about like the home defense thing, like make your house look impenetrable. I, I knew Keith was laughing when you said onion. Cause I always talk about my tactical onion of a house. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So like now if we're talking about like personal security, all right, like I'm with my family at the mall. Um, what do you look like? How are you perceived amongst others? Do you look like a soft target? Right. Or do you look like someone that is formidable yep. and uh, like, Hey, if I test this guy, I may not survive this encounter. So I'm going to pick somebody else that's yep. not as formidable. Yep. So the, that article talked about that a bit, talked about, excuse me, the idea of like uh, that when they're looking for that, that interview phase of that time, um, you know, that time analogy is when they're interviewing, you're, they're looking, is this person cohesive? Are they, are they kind of like, you know, with it or are they not right? Are they going to make a, a good target or, or in your case, what you said, a soft target, what else is there after that initial, like what you were talking about? I would say the next thing is making sure that you have good situational awareness. The thing is, the the reason I always put being, uh, you know, looking, having the appearance of a hard target is you can't pay attention to everything all the time, right? Like right. we're not omniscient. Um, so in that regard, like I think you put that first, make sure you look the part, make sure you look like a hard target, Look, you look formidable. And then the next thing, because that works for the guys that you can't see, right? Um, and the next thing is now pay attention to what's going on around you, right? Like, you know, I'm using air quotes here and saying situational awareness because I think it gets, you know, overused and, and um, kind of leaned on very heavily sometimes as, as like the, the ultimate thing. Uh, but I think it needs to be looked at with balance, but having that awareness at, you know, whether it's, you know, in my house, on my street, right. On my block, uh, in my neighborhood, in my town, in my city, in my county, in my state, in my country, right? Like having awareness, like what's happening right now, culturally, et cetera. Like you should have awareness of all those things. What's as you're walking through the mall, what's happening in that town, what's happening in that area, right. what's happening five meters out, 15 meters out, 20 meters out, you know, whatever, uh, however you break it up, but having an awareness of, uh, you know, what's going on around you. And then with that awareness, it's not just, you know, knowing the area, but, you know, being able to differentiate, you know, friend from foe, right? Like, do you know with what, what criminal behavior or pre-fight stuff, pre-contact, pre-fight, pre-ambush, whatever vernacular you want to use, pre-assault, right? What does criminal activity look like before it actually takes place? Right. What is a, you know, what is a guy getting ready to do a shooting look like? What does a robbery before it happens look like? Um, you know, knowing what those things look like prior to, yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's as simple as jumping on like YouTube and typing in street robbery or street fight and start paying attention to those things. Speaking of that, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, uh, someone out there listening right now and it's like, well, how do I get trained? How do I get more prepared? I got news for you. And, and you know, obviously I'm going to sort of uh, plug my own show, but you're listening to podcasts. You're, you're going on YouTube, you're watching training videos. Maybe you're taking a training class, all that stuff, right? It all sort of like compiles one on top of the other. Right. Like, yeah. like, I mean, I bring people like yourself on Keith and I have had, you know, a hundred conversations with different people, with different skill sets, different points of views, different modalities. And, 
you know, if you're listening to all these people, like that's like super, super, you know, you're, you're gaining so much knowledge from like hearing other people's experiences. So the bottom line is obviously you want to, you want to make sure that you are doing everything you can to just kind of mitigate those, uh, acts of violence and, they always have the upper hand, like I said. So you have to basically do the the things beforehand to try to just minimize as much as possible. Uh, Keith, I know you uh, had something on uh, big pharma. Let's let's cover that a little bit. Yeah, th- this had come across, and I don't know why it shocked me so much, but I, you know, the uh, headline definitely got me. And then as I started reading the article, I just again, I, I don't know why I was shocked by it, but. Apparently, Moderna has hired a former FBI agent to compile uh, internal company reports about high-risk celebrities, uh, including um, uh, Novak uh, Jared, uh, how do I say? Jack, Djokovic. Djokovic. Jo- Djokovic, yeah. Uh, Elon Don't be Musk, impressed. I looked it up. Uh, Elon Musk and Russell Brand, for example, because uh, they want these internal reports because all of those in- those individuals I just named have been pretty publicly critical of the vaccine mandates and uh, um, they are really just trying to keep a handle on these, these anti-vaxxer, you know, anti-vaxxers uh, that that's their name for them. And um, you know, he, they're there. They had one report that was recently uh, internally that, that got leaked. That was titled uh, that name that you just pronounced that I still Djokovic. can't pronounce Djokovic. Uh, crowned anti-vaccine hero after U.S. Open, and you know it's it's just so interesting to me that you know I mean I guess that's pretty common for individuals to want to keep up on um, lack of a better term their enemies, <laughs> but um, it it seemed it seemed pretty shocking to me. You know, um, well, yeah, this this really bothers me, and lately I've been actually thinking a lot about the whole like big pharma thing and. What's alarming to me is you're dealing with a company that, let's be honest, right? Like they have uh, board members and they, they're beholden to uh, certain responsibilities to ultimately make money. And anytime that you have to make money and anytime that your goal is to make a lot of money, you want to push your product as much as possible. And that's capitalism and that's great. But when you start doing it in ways like this, right, where you're you're trying to force products on people, it really makes me nervous, you know? And then what really scares me is you're talking about the government with the FDA and the FDA approves certain medications. And, you know, we talk about it a lot on the show and I hate to sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat over here, but it's like, man, at what point are you like, they're all just kind of in bed together and they don't give a shit about what they're pumping into people's bodies as long as they're making money, you know, for their board. It's just, it really scares me, you know? And now you, you're talking about monitoring your opposition. It really starts to get kind well, of Well, and that was, and that's the, where I kind of got stuck about this. Like, is it wrong for them to monitor their opposition? I don't, I don't know that it is. Um, it just... I, I guess, what do they do with these reports? I mean, these are labeled in this article as internal reports. So they're not like, they're not getting these reports and putting them in, in the newspaper or, or putting them in mainstream media for people to, to read and, and try to, um, to minimize, you know, their, these individuals and, and their thoughts. But I, I what, what are you doing with these reports? You know, well, that's like, why, the part where it's not wrong know? to do it, but what, what you do with that information could be. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, look, if, in other words, if you use that information and you have a source in at CNN and you give that to this source and say, we need you to kind of, you know, blow this up so that uh, we cancel this person, make them yeah. look bad. I mean, Russell Brand is dealing with, you know, they mentioned it in the article too, uh, dealing with some uh, uh, sexual abuse uh, claims from decades ago. Right. Maybe that came from this report, right? right. Maybe. Right. <laughs> David, have you, you in like law enforcement, you were in military, you're just law enforcement, correct? Right. Okay. So have you like, have you had any experience with like intelligence and intelligence gathering information kind of, kind of work? Yeah, that was, I mean, as a UC, one of my jobs with, um, you know, heavy on the intelligence gathering side. So from that side of things, like they're hiring a former FBI agent to do this, you know, what's your take? Obviously, you know, this is speculation. Like we don't, none of us know, but like, why, why would they want this kind of information? Like, can you kind of surmise why they might want that? Yeah. It's an, it, I mean, basic intelligence gathering is with the intent of understanding my opposition. So as to be able to weaponize the intelligence that I've gathered to use for my benefit. Right. Yeah. And that's what, so Keith, when you say it's wrong, it's like, no, you, you're free to get that information. But sure. if it's like he just said, if, you, if you're using it to weaponize, then, you know, that's, that's another story. You know, it's, it's what you do with the information, which is kind of right. what you were alluding to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad that this, you know, all this uh, vaccine stuff and COVID it's like, just, it won't go away, you know, even though it's, oh, away, it's, it's never going away. It's never in my going opinion, away. But. Yeah. So we had a, a crazy afternoon, um, at my house and Keith, you're, you're in the same school district as, as us, but Correct. I get a call from my wife, uh, a text from my wife today. I'm at lunch and she says, my building's on a lockout. And so long story short, my wife was on a lockout. Um, we still don't know all the details. Everything worked out fine. Then I find out uh, our school was on a uh, a lockout as well, uh, not full lockdowns. My, my wife's uh, sister campus building, whatever, was on an actual lockdown. And I have to be honest, when your kid's building goes on a lockout, um, or your wife's building goes on a potential lockdown, it does make a lot go through your head. You know, the first thing I said to my wife is I'm like, you know, do, what do you need me to do? Do you need me to leave right now? I don't know what I would have done, but I was like, if you need me to leave, I'm, I'm on my way. And she's like, no, you know, at this point we're just on a lockout. It's good. And they released it pretty quick to be quite honest, but it made me start thinking about, you know, violent shootings and things like that. First thing I thought was, this is where I sort of agree, agree with some of the opposition that we're always talking about in terms of, I do think something needs to be done about this stuff. I just don't agree. It's disarming good citizens. That's the problem that I have with, with, with our opposition and, and, you know, people that don't agree with us. And, uh, so I was like looking around the other day and I found this article uh, it was very interesting. So it, the article is about school shootings in particular, but it's in most school shootings, are caused by guns taken from relatives. That was the title, but the title didn't really reveal, the article was much better than just the title. So this is a new study uh, talking about how most school shootings involving adolescents don't result in mass casualty events. And so this was based off of 253 school shootings that spanned over 26 years. That was what the researchers based this on. And the one of the big takeaways that I found uh, interesting was that it suggested that, and I don't think this is a surprise to anybody on the, on online right now with us, uh, but it suggested that there's a big parallel between school gun violence and just broader community violence. 
And it's Keith, you and I were just talking about this, you know, like we've, we were just talking about how the idea that, yeah. you know, our society has changed so much, you know, that it's hard to just pin it on just guns. And we know that obviously <laughs> they had this, this one part of the article that I was just shaking my head. So I'm just going to read this. It says, while assault rifles are often the weapon of choice in mass shootings, okay, 85.5% of school shootings analyzed involved handguns. About 9.6% of school shootings studied involved rifles, while shotguns were used in 5.9% of school shootings. What are they classifying as, as well, they say, assault rifles? And they say that it's the weapon of choice, but only 9.6% of school shootings involve rifles. So I'm like, I'm shaking my head here. I'm saying, you're saying it's the weapon of choice, but meanwhile, 85.5% of them are pistols or handguns. I walked away from the article really more, I, I see your point on the confusion there, but I walked away with more of what I had already kind of felt like I knew, which is there a lot of times when these situations, when these shootings happen, um, they are situations where someone did not store their firearm properly. Oh no, no, no. That that is definitely the bigger takeaway. I I'm I wasn't done, but but that part just bothered me because I'm reading this and like they're literally contradicting themselves in this article. Yeah. You know, I don't maybe I'm desensitized to it Mike, but I I don't I'm not surprised by that. That I mean we've we've encountered that on the show numerous times, you know, they there's no fact checking and there's no, you know, statistics are a funny thing. You can, you can manipulate them. And, but it's rare to ways. contradict your own article. That's, that's the part that got me is like, they're, they're actually contradicting themselves in terms of, and actually David, I wanted your take on this. Cause I obviously based on the work that you did, you know, you're very pro gun, you, you train people for a living. You know, the one thing the article talked about and, and Keith, you had already talked about it is the idea that, uh, very often, the majority of firearms that are procured for someone from someone uh, in their family—that's that's what the article was saying—is that they're using guns that they were easy, had easy access to, and that the article goes on to talk about how uh, a lot of the gun control conversation is uh, enacting legislation that would limit that or, or you know create some sort of safe storage laws. I think it's irresponsible to own firearms in your home and not properly educate your children. Agreed. Um, I think it's irresponsible gun ownership for parents to have guns in the house and hide them from their kids and uh, mystify them in doing that. Right. So I think what we should do is what we used to do back in the day um, when we didn't have this issue. But nowadays we have people that, right. We have irresponsible gun owners that buy guns are like, Hey, I have it. Um, and in case somebody kicks in the door, it's there. And, and I'm not saying don't, don't do that. Like I'm all for you doing that, but I'm all for, uh, you also making sure that you put in the, the actual, uh, time in developing the skill set required to do that safely. The problem is people, you know, they buy a gun, they put it in their house and they're like, you know, they look at it and they say, you know, is it possible? Yes. So I'll get a gun. Cool. What's the probability? Not very probable. So how much time do they dedicate to being proficient in developing that skill? Well, let's be honest. Most and many don't um, put a lot of time or effort into being capable with that tool. Then what happens is because they suck with it, um, they hide it from the kids because they're worried about the kids getting a hold of it, right? right. Um, yeah. 
so my son has seen firearms since forever, obviously because of my work. Yep. But I mean, by the age of like, since forever, it's like, Hey, you don't touch that. Right. Uh, and by the age of five, like we were going through, this is this, this is that he's with me when I'm taking it apart and cleaning it. He's with me when I'm putting it here and putting it there. I'm doing everything I can to demystify any of this. By the age of six, my son was looking at a gun, right? Whether a pistol or rifle, like it was a remote control. Like he could care less about it. Yep. Right. Not interested in it, not disinterested, but not interested. Like just, it's a tool. He looks at the same way he looks at my hammer. However, he understands how dangerous it is. Right. So I've shown him pictures, like at that age, showed him pictures like, Hey, look at what happened with this guy. He's got a hole in his hand. Look at, he shot himself like real gunshot wound to the hand, real gunshot wound to the leg. You put that in a kid's mind and they see what that's capable of doing. They realize very quickly, they have a newfound respect for what that thing is capable of doing. Right. Agreed. It's funny because as you're talking, I'm like checking mental boxes. Like, so for instance, for instance, there was, there was a point, I don't know the age, let's say three years old where my son really had no idea. I have a gun safe. So one day he asked and I said, you know, I said, you want to know, I'm going to show you. And I opened it up. I explained kind of what you're saying. This is what they are. They're dangerous, all this other stuff. And I said, I said, here's the deal, bud. I said, anytime you want to see any of these, you just let me know. I said, well, I'll stop whatever I'm doing and we'll, we'll look at them. I said, you know, we'll make sure they're safe. I'll show you how to make sure they're safe. And I, and I said, you can look at anything you want and sure as shit, the next couple, you know, next month or so, dad, can I see that? Yeah. Which one do you want to see? He would tell me which one you want to see. I'd show him now. He doesn't even ask, doesn't even care, you know? And now it's more, and this is the cool part. And Keith, I know you have this now it's, Hey dad, can we go, can we shoot my 22 this weekend? Yeah, man, we can go shoot your 22 this weekend. You know, like now it's, now he wants to do it in a very healthy way. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you take like something for like, I think it's super important. Like we teach, we all teach our kids how dangerous a blade is, right? Like kitchen knives. Yep. Like, Hey, look, look, here's a steak. Look at what this does to this, you know, this tenderloin. See how it cuts right through that? Like it'll do the same thing to you. Right. Right. Like, it, they can see it and realize. So we just do the same thing with the firearm. It translates right over. Like, we're not saying you can't, like, we're, we're going to in time develop your ability to, to use this. Like, it's a it's a life skill. You need to know this. Like, I, my, you know, for my son, it's like, hey, man, like, you can't be a man unless you can defend yourself. And you can't be a husband if you can't be a man. And you can't be a father if you can't be a man. So first and foremost, as a man, you need to be able to defend yourself so that you can defend your wife, your future wife, and defend your future children, period. And that comes down to not only just being able to protect yourself physically with, you know, uh, having a combative martial arts skill, but also an extension of that is the firearms and blades and everything else. Yep. Cool. All right. So before we move on, I want to briefly talk about Four Patriots Survival Food. For months, you've heard Keith and I talk about how much we've enjoyed the product and how great they've been to work with. They offer survival food and so much more. And now they've done something awesome just for our listeners. The folks at Four Patriots set up a special page for you at fourpatriots.com forward slash Gun Experiment 10, so that listeners of this podcast can get weekly discounts and deals, but act quickly because the deals change each week. Remember, head to fourpatriots.com forward slash gun experiment 10 each week and grab those deals. So, so far, everything's been kind of like, you know, a little bit heavy. We're talking about big pharma and, you know, we're talking about violence. We did this game called, can you spot the fake news? And so Keith, you want to pull it up? Sure. Okay. So uh, we're going to, we're going to read a uh, headline and we're going to kind of take a, a poll. Each of us is going to say whether we think it's a, a real headline or a fake headline. First one, 
Teenager fined a hundred pounds for feeding a chip to a pigeon. <laughs> How much? A hundred pounds? That that's got to yeah, be a new. Yeah, so, hundred pounds. So it's like uh, they're crazy. I would say yes. That's you think that's real. real. <laughs> Dave or um, yeah, Mike? Um, I don't know what's a hundred pounds. Is that a lot? It's like two hundred bucks. I'm I'm gonna say fake. One fake, one real. I'm going to say real. It was real. Okay. So, so you guys really get a happened. point. If you're not sure about the news story, uh, anyway, that's uh, telling you to fact check yourself. Good idea. All right. Second one. Two-headed sharks have been found. Real or fake? David, you're up. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Darwin. I'm going to say that's fake. <laughs> <laughs> Keith? Mike? Uh, I think that's fake as well. I'll go fake as well. That would be fake. There are no such thing as two-headed sharks. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Police in Germany rescue a man chased by a baby squirrel. (laughs) Dude, law enforcement everywhere. I mean, I'm going to say it's real. You've had that happen to you. I believe believe that's real. Uh, All right, real. uh, I'll say real, too. I'll say real, too. That would be real. We're on a roll, wow. boys. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> all right. Canadian zoo find after taking bear out for ice cream. That's I, I could see Trudeau doing that. <laughs> I that's gotta be fake. Fake. We got one fake. We got one real. Uh I think that's fake. I mean, come on, you brought a bear to get ice cream. Wouldn't you just bring the ice cream to the bear? Exactly. That's what I thought. Uh it's real. <laughs> <laughs> David, your, bull, your, bull, your bullshit detector is, is phenomenal. Oh my goodness. There is a video evidence of this happening, so we know it's true. It's reported <laughs> of a news. Yeah, all right. So they brought up bear to get ice cream. That's all right. Pretty, pretty crazy. All right. Elderly woman trained 65 cats to steal from her neighbors. I've seen I, this movie before. That's fake. Yeah, yeah that, okay, that's no fake. way that's yeah. real. That woman's not real. Yeah. Fake. <laughs> it is fake. Yeah. <laughs> That does that uh, is not able to happen. I guess. Uh, Camel survives after losing half of its body. Negative. Negative. Right. Yeah. Fake. I I agree. Mike. Fake. That would be fake. Yeah. Can't. Can't. Camels can't walk on two two legs only. Um, Skittles used instead of salt to help clear ice and snow from roads in Canada. That is just a waste of Skittles. Yeah, that's totally free. That's, that's fake. fake. A lot too. of fakes. Right. I'm going to say it's fake. Yep, rainbow-colored roads might have been uh, quite pretty, but very sticky. <laughs> All right, fake it is. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, boy. All right, here we go. Criminal farts so loudly, he gives away his hiding space. Oh, that's, that's definitely true. real. That's real. Yeah, That's 100% real. <laughs> Again, that's probably something that's happened, right? Oh, uh, I, yes, see. it's happened. Uh, it is real. Yep, very good. So <laughs> um, we we only got one wrong: the ice cream one. The well, they're getting taken out for ice cream. So the the uh, the rank here is David. You had eight points. Keith, you had seven. I had six. I'm not good at this, Keith. I lose every time. <laughs> I do not have a good BS uh, meter. You you want to you want to believe? I do. I, I want to believe. I want to believe the media is good. I just I, I always get proven <laughs> wrong every time. 
Well, Keith, you and I have uh, discussed gun ownership 2.0, um, maybe not in those terms, but uh, gun ownership 2.0, meaning uh, the gun owners that are starting to enter the market, such as uh, the high-rise in female gun ownership, um, black Americans, um, so on and so forth. And uh, I think I actually sent you this article, but uh, the article was entitled, I, what was the, what was it titled exactly? I don't have it up. There's a reason African-American gun ownership is rising. All right. So, so hit me. What's, what's this about? Well, uh, a re recent report by The Hill showed that African-Americans are the most uh, directly impacted by what they call gun violence. And at the same time, firearm purchases by African-Americans rose steeply in recent years. Um, so they're saying that the two facts are not mutually exclusive, but they are linked uh, in some ways gun control groups don't want to admit. Hmm. And one of the ways that they don't want to admit that is that, uh, you know, the, there was a poll that found that black adults were roughly twice as likely as white or Hispanic adults to report that they've had a family member killed by a gun, including suicide. Um, and basically, you know, this group of Americans are tired of soft on crime policies and they feel like they have to take uh, responsibility to protect themselves, which is not unique to this one particular group that's being discussed in my opinion. Right. But, oh, definitely not. Um, you know, they mentioned some things that were going on in Chicago. I mean, that's a good example. Um, I mean, <clears throat> the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, you know, got trounced in her last re-election bid because of the rampant crime there. San Francisco, same deal. Um, you know, uh, Eric Adams is dealing with it in New York City. So, you know, it's <clears throat> there was another link that I found interesting, too, where a lot of these metro areas that embraced this, um, they also were very uh, there was a, a correlation that they were a big part of the defund police uh, movement. Mm. You know, it's funny because when I read this, it's like, it's like music to my ears. You know, it's like, man, the more people who realize that being independent and be able to take care of themselves and not rely on the government is like awesome. Great. Like you just, you made the pool bigger and more people yeah. who hopefully are willing to fight for their second amendment rights and their right to, you know, be more sovereign. Uh, David, you, you train people for a living. Do you, are you finding this? Like, are you seeing more, more women in classes over the course of, let's say the last 10 years, you know, more black Americans, more people from urban environments. Are you seeing an increase in that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like the trend, right? I mean, even like the stuff that's going on with like Hamas, <laughs> right? Like you're seeing all kinds of articles. I think Keith and I, I think we covered one, uh, a couple of weeks back about, you know, more Jewish Americans are like, you know, I, I, I don't really like guns, but I, I'm, I need to make sure I can take care of myself, you know, and my family. I think the biggest spike I've seen is, you know, COVID. Yeah. Since COVID, since people call cops and cops are like, yeah, we're not going to your house. Yeah. Uh, since riots, right. Since those yeah. protests and riots, people like, you know, they realize like the cops aren't necessarily coming to help me. And they, they had that nasty, ugly wake up call. Like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't outsource my ability to defend myself and my family. Uh, so people started taking it a little more serious. Yeah. I, I was listening to Joe Rogan this morning and um, he was talking about this, this sort of topic came up and he said something like, you know, just think back to like COVID when like the gun store had lines out the doors. He was like, 
let's keep that energy going. You know, like, like it doesn't have to end just because COVID is quote unquote over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you wanted one then good. I hope you want one now, you know, cause that's not going away. It's not, it's not like that was a one shot deal. And like, we're never going to see, you know, uh, civil unrest ever again. Yeah. Right. And I, this article went on, which made me happy because in, in the beginning, <clears throat> you know, I, I've talked about it a couple of times on the show, but I, I hate compartmentalizing right. different types of Americans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like it, but at the end, it kind of redeemed itself. And it said, Americans, no matter their race, color, or creed, have the right to protect themselves. And polls show that their elected officials are failing to deliver on promises of safe communities, so on and so forth. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that was what I really wanted to take away from it, and I'm glad it got to that point. Yeah. Um, I always feel a know. little like, not I don't say bad, but I always feel like, like yeah, like what, like why am I reading this article and it's just about like Black Americans? But at the same time, if there is a group of people, and you know pick said group. It doesn't matter. It doesn't be black Americans or women or whatever. If there's a group of Americans who typically have not taken advantage of a, of a right, let's say, or they have not, you know, necessarily, um, come to that realization. And there's an article being written about how that is happening now that actually makes me happy. You know what I mean? Because it's it, now it makes me feel like they're partaking in that part of, of the American constitution, that part of the American dream, let's say that maybe hasn't been the case. And that kind of makes me happy. Yeah, no, I agree with it. Uh, I, I just wonder, I guess I wonder in a, is there an alternate universe or something somewhere where, you know, it just talks about the fact that <clears throat> like, couldn't you say the same thing by saying people who live in high crime Metro areas are more likely to buy firearms. I mean, like, could. isn't that really what the article is saying? <laughs> eh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it doesn't have to be it it doesn't have to be just in high urban areas. Well, that seems to be that that was they definitely focused on yeah, that a little that bit. Yeah, that was mentioned um, for sure. Um and I I just, you know, you with all this talk of like racism and, you know, this um uh inherent racism in 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 America, I just feel like articles like this just proliferate that. Like they're just kind of <laughs> Yeah. I mean I think as long as it's talking on the positive, I, I don't really have such a problem with it, you know? Yeah. And I'm maybe oversimplifying the fact, you know, I mean, the reality is there are differences in people, right? So, right. Uh, so um, when we were talking before <clears throat> and we were talking about the uh, gun, sort of like gun safety talk, David, you mentioned something. And I kind of wish that I could have like moved this article up in the, uh, in the timeline, but you were talking about, uh, basically raising a son. I, I don't know if you have a daughter or daughters, but you were talking about raising a son and, you know, raising a son to be able to defend himself, his family, that that's part of being a man and to, you know, have a wife, you need to be a man and, and all of that. This was uh, about an NYU uh, professor. He was talking about the looming social crisis for young men driven by the rise of AI sex bots and excessive consumption of pornography. So that's sort of the, where the article starts. And he's advocating- What's that? I say, I'll buy that. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so as you were talking about it, so this guy is advocating for schools to start teaching young men about mating dynamics and to help preserve their ability to seek and build meaningful relationships with romantic partners. And he talks about the idea of like approaching women and making them feel safe is a skill set. Yeah. And hundred percent. I got to tell you, 
like I, I found this article. And like I said, as you were talking about the idea of like raising a, a young man, it's, it's something Keith and I both have sons. It's something I, I don't know about you, Keith, but I think about this all the time. Like all the time. I, I worry about how do I, how do I teach my son? Like the way that I would have, I would uh, ha- approached women when I was in school. I don't know is, uh, Appropriate, I don't know that people acceptable, are doing it. Like acceptable, acceptable, yes. and, and I didn't like clobber them over the head and drag yeah. them back to my, you know, like it, it wasn't like that. But, you know, I just feel like it. it's not right to go up to a girl now and say, you know, as a young man and say, hey, you you want to go out on a date? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's allowed anymore. Well, if you say it like that in that creepy voice, then yeah, probably not. But <laughs> <laughs> um, David, do you do you see this kind of as a problem? Like the idea that young men are, you know, they're just they don't they lack this skill set a lot of the time in these new generations. Do you feel that? I mean, it's just it, the writing's been on the wall for a while for a while with this. Um, I am. I am not of the opinion that any one of us should be sending our kids off to the government to be raising them. Uh, one of my favorite pastors, uh, Dr. Vody Bakum, he said, uh, you shouldn't be surprised when you, you know, like, uh, when you, you should be surprised when you send your children off to Caesar and they return home as Roman, Roman soldiers. soldiers. Yeah. Right. Like, so it's like you send your kids to government school, government ran schools, right. Critical race theory, common core, like you just like go down the list of nonsense that's taught in these public schools. And it's like, yeah, there, there's no, like, how can we expect more right. in all honesty? Yeah. Um, so for me, it's just like, uh, I don't subscribe to that, right? Like our house, we, we homeschool. Uh, we do that intentionally uh, with purpose, understanding it's, it's not necessarily the easy way out. Um, it, it's, it's absolutely a struggle in, in, in many ways. Uh, but the, the, the juice is absolutely worth the squeeze. Yeah, uh, in my opinion, because that's not something like I, I don't want the government raising my son. Um, we know what that looks like, right? Like we see that every day. This article is a reflection of exactly that outcome. Yeah. So I, I have to tell you that. Uh, so I, I met my wife much like I was already very much in a career. She was very much in a career, and you know we had kids, and you know unfortunately like homeschool homeschooling wasn't even really a big topic of a discussion when we got married. And since then it's really kind of blown up. And there was a point in time, it was during COVID that we really were like, like, how do, how do we figure this out? And we just, we just couldn't really figure it out. But I have to tell you it, you're talking about the chore of, of, you know, it's a chore, right? It's, it's a, it, it's a sacrifice for sure to do it. it. The other end of it is if you do send your kids to like a public school, for me, the, the chore is like, I am constantly on my son. And my daughter, my daughter just started school and my daughter now, but like, I'm constantly asking questions. I'm constantly keeping my eyes very, very astute as to what's going on and what's being sent home. Like, because I feel like if, if I'm going to send them there, I need to make sure I am aware of everything that's going on to, to the, as much to the extent that I can, you know, yeah. the article goes on. I mean, he talks about, he says, young men these days are discouraged from engaging in such character building activities as going out in the physical world, expressing human interests and even risking reje- rejection. And like, that's a, that's a big one. You know, um, the whole rejection thing, nothing good ever comes out of playing it safe ever. You have to sometimes just put it out there. And I think that, you know, that's kind of one of the things I took away from this article is that we're not letting young men take risks in their lives. We're, we're, yeah. Telling them to play it safe. We're telling them don't, you know, don't ask a girl out. God forbid. Like, what if you get rejected? 
right? The social, the social, uh, you'll be a social pariah. And I just, I just hope that, you know, I'm able to navigate my kids to the point where they're able to, to function on a normal level. You know, do you have daughters, David? No, just a son. And so Keith and I both have daughters. And actually one of the things we was talking about how it actually, this actually affects women too, because it was saying that young women, listen, women want a man. They want someone who's not afraid to take risks, right? And so it was saying that a lot of young women are actually being pushed to pursue relationships with older men um, because they want someone who isn't afraid, someone who is more economically and social, socially viable. And that's not coming from the younger men that, are, that aren't, you know, doing these, these things. So it's not just- well, what's a man, man nowadays? What's that? Well, what's a man nowadays? <laughs> well, yeah. Yes, that is a question. Yeah, literally, like, literally. I mean, we know what the answer is, but yeah. like, yeah, like our like these kids are being brought up with a completely different understanding of what it is to be a man and yeah. to be a woman. It's yeah, well, like it reminds me of that I think it was a Gillette commercial. You remember that? It's about the toxic masculinity, and it was like, and I was like, what? What are we putting out there? You know, it was like two boys wrestling on like a front front yard or something. And they were like, oh, let's break it up now, boys. You know, like, you know, we don't want to, yeah. we don't want to be toxic mas- masculine men. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I mean. That is legit flat out ideological subversion. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's how you take over, a, a, you know, like you want to take over a nation and make it unformidable. Start attacking that. Yep. And the other part about this is, that, you know, it, the article had mentioned the stuff about like the excessive amount of pornography. And I had mentioned this, I think I mentioned it on, on the show, Keith, maybe not, but, you know, I can't post a picture of a gun on a rock, right? But there's all kinds of sexual, explicitly sexual stuff all over Instagram. Not a problem. They post it all day long. Nobody cares. Why? Right? Like if we think about what's the intent there, like why would, why why would the powers that be allow, allow, it's not like it's happening by accident. Oh, definitely not. Like definitely it, it's not. absolutely intentional. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the intent there? And it, you know, you start putting, you know, puzzle pieces together, start connecting dots and you realize the writing that's on the wall. And then, you know, that awareness allows you to say, okay, like if that's the case, then what steps am I going to take moving forward? Um, you know, as a husband, as a father. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why my kids, I keep them away from tablets and I keep them away from a lot of technology because, you know, it, it, that stuff, I mean, Keith, you know, you're, you're the king of this yeah. one. I mean, you, you, you know what social media does, you know? Mm-hmm. So ultimately all this is leading us down the road of uh, the eventual apocalypse. So I thought it fitting <laughs> Keith Endis with, uh, can you survive an apocalypse? So Well, apparently a third of Americans believe they can. <laughs> um <laughs> A survey of 2,000 U.S. adults looked at how this would be the case and found that uh, these respondents believe they'd outlast everyone because of their strong survival skills. I'd, I'd like to see the demographics of these 2,000 <laughs> U.S. adults. Um, 30% of those uh, surveyed see themselves as the underdog of the apocalypse, uh, while more respondents believe they're the top dog. Um, so... Uh, it's it was interesting. Uh, I, I I feel like this is a common misconception that that people have. I don't think people really understand what it would take to really survive an apocalypse. Um, Definitely not. And uh, this is probably uh, a good indication of that the there are people some overconfident of that. 
I think I think overall people overestimate their abilities. Yeah, I I can't disagree on that. I mean, we know, you know, just from talking with you know, people that that we interact with Mike that most most people are not prepared in terms of survival food um or, you know, uh, multiple different skill sets that they just don't try to expand on, you know. And and learn more of you know I think I think this is a situation like to be prepared for the apocalypse you want to really be a jack of all trades a master of none so to speak you know you want to be able to have as many different skills as you possibly can and you know you don't have to be an expert in them but you you got to be able to to half ass them you know yeah well it's I mean it's a total perfect example of the Dunning Kruger effect right like people just overestimate yes. their their abilities. Um, you know, I, I mean, I just love some of the things that they said that they would they would eat: uh, salty snacks, canned beans, sandwiches, uh, cheesy pizza. Sandwiches. Where are you going to get any of these things in the apocalypse? That's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Well, and the other part about this is we've had a, we've had enough conversations with enough people that the one thing that everybody always talks about is you know the the lone wolf mentality doesn't cut it in those situations. You have to have, no. pe- you have to have a community around you. You have to have, you know, strong, strong people <clears throat> to lean on. And what I find funny is most people I know that overestimate their abilities, uh, hang out with a bunch of other people who over overestimate their abilities. <laughs> like, like the people I know who like absolutely abhor guns, like just, you know, they think guns are the worst thing in the world. They hang out with all other people who hate guns. And so it's like, it, God forbid things ever got bad where you needed to, let's just say, we'll go with hunt, right? For You had to hunt. Well, who, how the fuck you doing that? Like no one you know has that skill set. No one you it's, know has ever touched a gun. Like what makes you I think had that, that that's conver- I had that exact conversation with somebody recently. I, I think it might've been Frank, but it was, you know, his take on it was people will try to hunt and they will end up harvesting more animals and not know what to do with them. <laughs> Yeah. And that would be, you know, uh, obviously not great for those of us that know what to do with it, you know, but, um, I kind of was, I kind of said to myself, you know what, that, that there might be some truth to that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, David, we've talked about a lot of things. Um, I want to give you the uh, last word. If there's anything you want to talk about, you get the final word. Yeah, man. I, well, I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. I always appreciate getting the opportunity to talk to you guys and um, I, I don't overlook that. So I appreciate you guys bringing me on, giving me opportunity to speak on your platform and, uh, just share what, you know, my take on what I think, uh, right looks like with some of these things. So we appreciate it. Um, Get out there and go buy some of those mag pouches. <laughs> um, one thing I would say, like, if, if I don't get the opportunity to do this again, uh, I, I always tell dudes, especially in classes, right? Like, um, hopefully we get to train together again, but I may not see you again, right? Like we, we often take tomorrow for granted. And I'd say that like for us and guys that take our capability seriously and developing our ability to defend ourselves and others, like irrespective of the level that we uh, arise to as far as skill and capability, um, as far as any of the survival skills, like in the end, like nobody makes it out of this alive. Like time always wins and we can't beat the one statistic that, you know, 10 out of 10 people die. Um, and, and knowing that I, I'd say it's, it's important that, um, you know, as much thought and preparation that we uh, allow and, and spend on being capable of protecting ourselves and others, equal if not more time and energy should be allocated for preparing for uh, 
life in eternity, uh, the life that ensues this one. So tomorrow is not promised. And what we do in this life does have eternal repercussions. Um, so I think it's important that we understand that our destiny is ultimately a reflection of our character. Our character is uh, a reflection of our habits. Our habits are a reflection of our deeds. Our deeds are a reflection of our words. Our words are a reflection of our thoughts. And our thoughts are ultimately a reflection of the condition of our heart. Um, so I believe that mankind as a whole has a heart problem. Like all the things that we were talking about this evening, when we look at the, the, the root of it, it really does stem down to the condition of man's heart, right? Like if, if I think when we, when we look at it intrinsically, like, in, you know, we say um, introspectively, if we look at ourselves and we say like, hey, if I could take my brain, get up to a computer and play every thought I've ever imagined on the big screen down in Times Square when the ball drops, who would volunteer for that? Right. No one would, right? Nobody, Not a single man. No, nobody. No one. Right. So like, and, and that's what the Bible references when it says that but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and that this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, fault, uh, false witness, lying and slandering, right? And that's, that's Jesus talking in Matthew. So it's like, I think we need to look at that and say like mankind uh, obviously has a, a condition. It's, it's called sin. It's a condition of the heart. Uh, but mankind is not without hope. Uh, you know, Paul writes in the book of Romans that uh, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So uh, I think people need to take into consideration, like, don't take tomorrow for granted. If you're going to breathe your last breath in five minutes from now, right, I think we'll all wish we had more time. Um, that may not necessarily be the case. So Look at that and, you know, all the preparation that you're making to make yourself prepared for all the things that are going to happen in this life. Think about the next life as well. Think about what you uh, think right looks like in regards to eternity and invest time in that specifically. That's awesome. Good advice. Very well said. I think that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and a very special thanks to David for hanging out with us and chopping it up. Be sure to head over to Allegiance Defense Solutions to check out all of David's upcoming courses. If anyone out there has any opinions or thoughts on tonight's conversation, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, or Spotify, and let your voice be heard.